Well, friends, welcome back to the podcast. It is good to have you with us. And we have my friend Steve Carter with us today. Steve, thanks for being here. It's good to see your face, even though everyone else can't see you. My gold's really, man, this, we've lived a lot of life together. Same alma mater. I mean, just, yeah. uh, it's good to see you. And uh, it was fun being with you a couple of weeks ago in Raleigh, North Carolina. So uh, it's fun uh, to to jump on your podcast, which is fantastic, by the way. I love the, I love the people that you've you've brought on. So it's super, such an honor to, to, to be included into this mix. Dude, you're so kind. And um, yeah, we'll have to talk about our time in Raleigh here in a little bit. And yeah, so we go back to undergrad days where um, I had to live in your shadow as a ministry student at the same time as the great Steve Carter. But one of the things I want folks to know going in, going into this, before we talk about your book that you got coming out, before we talk about, I want to talk to you about some other things too. Um, one of the things that folks should know, so I, I often remember a few years ago, I was going through a really difficult experience that I was trying to make sense of. I was trying to figure out what my role is in it. What, um, uh, like what was somebody else's to own? What, like the best way for me to engage it, how I handle it well, how do I handle it, um, as a pastor? Well, and I called you just to talk it through with you and you said, Hey, I'm going to happen to be in your area in like four days. Um, cause I'm speaking at some things. Why don't we like hang out And so we hung out and what I didn't realize until it came to that day and we were hanging out is that you had rearranged your travel schedule to fly in, to be in Long Beach with me for a day that um, like was one of the most significant things. And like you taught me the ministry of presence from that. And I just think like um, I've talked for a long time here, but like all of that to say, like some folks will know you from some... um, things that you have done that are more high profile, but like the way that you live your life is so consistent with who you um, talk, the way that you talk about things from the stage is so significant. Well, dude, thank you. I mean, honestly, I I learned that from Hal and, you know, I know that you know who Hal it was, but I mean, I remember when my parents separated, um, you know, I got a, I got a text message from uh, Hal who was, you know, my mentor and he lived in California. I was in Grand Rapids. And he's like, hey, I'm coming your way. And um, and Hal was like genius. I mean, he was off the charts brilliant. Um, very, very quirky. Uh, he's no longer with us. Um, he died a few years ago in a motorcycle accident, just tragically. But um, he, <laughs> he he thought Grand Rapids was near Detroit. And so he <laughs> flew to Detroit. And then he, he drove, uh, which is about three and a half hours. And it's like a snowstorm. And at like 1.45 a.m., I got a knock on my door. And I'm like, I think that might be how, like, I have no idea. And there he is. He just, he's like, and it was like his anniversary and he just like came and he just was like, Hey, I just, uh, I'm just so sorry. And I, I, again, I think, um, we, we, we've grown up in a culture where we're like, Oh, I'll pray for you. Um, but really like to embody Emmanuel, like God with us, like you yeah. with, um, I, I, uh, I learned that from Hal and just the importance of that. So thanks for saying that, but that's a, that's a shout out for Hal for me. For yeah. sure. Well, that's one of the gifts of the way that you carry on Hal's legacy is um, one of the things, there's a few things that I have learned from you, been really impressed with from you. But one of them is like, I always feel like when I'm with you, like you're fully there and that I've watched you do that with others too. Like you show up and you are fully present 
And yeah, I've just learned so much about that from you. So I appreciate that. So um, you have got a great podcast that you've got a couple of podcasts, um, but your crafting character one, like, like you talk about preaching and the development of character and talk to some phenomenal preachers on that. So we're going to, I want to talk to you about your book that's coming out. That's called the thing beneath the thing, which is fantastic. And I love the cover. I love the idea of it. I love so much about it. But before we get into that, from your podcast, here's what I'm curious about. And here's how I think it ties in. I'm curious what you have learned about developing character from maybe a specific person that you've interviewed there, something interesting, helpful, or maybe even just overall. When you think about like uncovering character and what it is that's driving us and how to like recognize that and how to move towards more wholeness in life. What's something that you've learned through the people you've talked to on your podcast? Great question. You know, there's basically the way the podcast works is the first 30 or so minutes, we're looking at someone's uh, latest preach and I'm just asking questions about their prep, um, how they got to this point, usually kind of pulling out something that I thought was just phenomenal in what they did. And then the last half of the, the podcast is around, hey, what are they doing to ensure that their character leads the way? And what's amazing is listening to various people that I, I just deeply admire and respect, but their their practice, um, how they are kind of embodying something, um, whether it's a discipline, um, whether it's Sabbath, whether, you know, and sometimes you hear that, but like it's, there's been a couple of pieces that people have said that I'm like, I've never thought about it like that. And so one hmm. was Glenn Packiam. Um, Glenn Packiam talked about how, it's important to be feeding the soul, feeding the heart in the in the real time, as well as looking out ahead and having to dig new wells and recognizing that the well that you're you are pulling from right now is going to run out of water. So so like and, and you think about this, like from culture, like we've had moments where there's been a certain season where like justice has been like what everyone's talking about or man, uh, worship is what everyone's talking about or, you know, the practices are what everyone's talking about or Sabbath. I, he was using this example is like you've got to constantly be going. This is a well for right now. But when you are desert people and we spend most of our life in the desert, in this liminal place of character formation and character school, what are we doing to actually look out ahead? That's just the work of digging new wells. And I just, I've loved that imagery um, to, because again, it puts a little bit of the self-leadership onus on me to say, Hey, um, this is working. Um, and I think too many of us go, this is working until it's not. And then we haven't, we're like, okay, where do I go now? And then that's typically where it can lead us into comparison or just stealing what somebody else is doing rather than, hey, we're digging our, our own new well to see what where new life and fresh water can come from. Yeah, that's so good. And genuinely, that was one of my favorite episodes was your one with him. It was, there's so much richness, um, both in the way he thinks about the sermon and the way that he thinks about um, character logical development. Like, the, yeah, it was such a great interview. Thanks, man. It's good. Um, so thing beneath the thing coming out August 10th yeah, and, um, I'm super stoked on it. I love the, the impetus behind this book and kind of what it's uncovering. And you tell this opening story at the beginning and I don't, I don't want to, do, are you able to retell it? Yeah, do, sure. do we save that for people to no, read it? Fine. Will you, 
Yeah. Will, will you tell that story? Because I I love the story that sets up the book and that sets up the um, framework for it. Yeah. So I, you know, I used to be at Mars Hill, um, was there, the one in Grand Rapids for a number of years. And um, I uh, had taken a, a job in Southern California. And um, I was leaving my grandparents' house and it, it was pretty snowy. Uh, my family had been there. I was heading home in our little Honda Civic with my wife and then my nine month old. And as we're driving, you know, just kind of talking and it was, you know, to my wife when all of a sudden like something hit our car and it was snowing. And and then I realized like, as it like hit our car, hit our windshield, I was like, that was a huge chunk of ice. Like somebody threw a huge chunk of ice. And all of a sudden I could feel all of this cortisol going to my brain. And so I like flip a U-turn and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, someone threw something at us. And I pull off on the side of the road. I leave my wife and nine month old in a snowstorm. And I'm like, I open the door and I see this field that like leads to like the suburban neighborhood. I'm like, I see people running and I'm like, I'm going to catch them. So I run across a couple lanes of traffic. There's like an embankment and I'm like, I can jump this then I realized I couldn't and I land like in it and it's like soaking wet, like water up to my waist, which only makes me even more angry. And so I'm like screaming things like a wild man, like I called 911. I'm going to find you, you know, and I'm just like chasing. And I finally like run through this field. And again, I can see these people that off in the distance. And so I run to the suburban neighborhood and I close my eyes in the middle of the street because I've watched CSI and I, I hear like three doors down a garage close and three doors down, by the way, is a terrible band. But like I, I end up running to this house <laughs> and I knock on the door, soaking wet pants, cold, like pissed. And an older gentleman opens the door and I'm like out of breath. I'm like, hey, has, a, has like some somebody just run in here? Um from outside, he's like, "Oh, my grandson and his friend just did." And I'm like, "Could I have a kind of a word with them?" And at this moment, like, I I had been like a the student ministry, like from cradle to college, like pastor at Mars Hill, um, and so I'm standing there and I'm like thinking, "I'm gonna have a word with these college students." And and then all of a sudden, like two sixth graders show up and their <laughs> knees are shaking. And I'm like at this moment looking at them and their heads are down. They can't even look me in the eyes. And I just felt like this sense of the spirit, like really just whisper, like what's going on, Steve? Who's, who's the crazy one now? Like your nine month old and wife are on the side of the road. Yeah. You, you've got soaking wet pants and you're about to tear into some sixth graders. And so I just looked at these kids and I was like, Hey, I just wanted to tell you that was a nice shot. And I walked away. And as I was walking away, I, uh, I just, I was sad. Like I, I was sad that I was stepping away from a church I loved. I was sad that I was leaving my grandparents. I was scared because the people who said they were going to buy our house had backed out that night. And all of a sudden, all of the turmoil and excitement of going and leaving to this next assignment and adventure and the sadness and the reality. And I think in that moment, I was worried that our house wouldn't sell. I was worried about finances. I was worried. I was stressed. And I didn't know how to address my sadness. And that chunk of ice 
gave me permission to release and take it out on a bunch of sixth graders. And so I remember calling my mentor, Rob, the next day. And I was like, Rob, this is what happened. And he just chuckled and he just said, hey, welcome to the thing beneath the thing, the relentless pursuit of what's really going on. And that that's the, that's that's where that phrase just hit. And it just yeah. became this 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 um, kind of mantra that my wife and I would just talk about, like, hey, what what's the thing beneath the thing? What's underneath that? What's what's really going on? And so that's kind of the the real genesis of of the book. And it's just been kind of my fascination as a pastor and as someone who loves people. Um, I just don't think anybody wakes up and goes, you know what, today, Mike, today's the day I'm going to train wreck my life. Today's the day I'm going to sabotage my integrity. Today's not the day I literally blow up every good thing that God has given to me. Today's the day. But I think I'm fascinated by why people do what they do. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's so interesting to me, which I love that story, by the way. I love the way that you tell it. I love getting to hear you tell it and have, having uh, just read it recently. And, um, and I love even like that phrase that Rob gave you of like, welcome to the thing beneath the thing to the endless discovery of what's really going on, that there was this like thing you thought that was going on. And there was that obvious thing up on the surface, but there's actually something underneath it that was driving that. And one of the things that's so fascinating about, about this to me, and this is one of the other things that I've learned so much from you about is the fact that you would have curiosity about yourself in that moment, enough self-awareness. Like so many people would have that same story. Uh, like I could see so many other preachers telling a really similar story of having a similar kind of experience if I were to have that. And what it would end with is me like doing something to those kids and then later regretting it or later whatever. Like when I end up in the police department and and like and it becomes this funny story about remember when Mike was arrested for like threatening a couple of sixth graders <laughs> and you have this in that moment, the wherewithal to have curiosity enough about yourself to stop yourself, to hear the spirit, to wonder what more is going on and to where like where did that start for you? Where does that start to come from? Where did you get that? How did you start to get curious in that way? Yeah, great question. I don't I don't think I always had that. I mean, I think I've always been fascinated about why people do what they do. I think I've always just wondered like what's what's happening? And I think, you know, as I got older and you know, parts of my story where you know, you start to wonder like, oh, where was that parent? Um and then like more details come out or hey, what 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 really happened? And I and and then recognizing like all of that stuff is in me, you know, there's, you know, and I think probably 2004, 2005 was when, you know, um, a friend of mine kind of introduced me to the Enneagram and I started to mm. like, it was, it was the first time I realized like, oh, there is some language around integration. I just, I didn't, I didn't know what that looked like. I knew what disintegration looked like. I knew that from my childhood. I knew that from my own life. Um, and so, I think just beginning to do the work in counseling and learning to slow down um, my ability to create stories that aren't based in reality, um, to create false narratives about myself or about others, um, and and to realize, you know, if I – anytime you really see someone react, all they're doing is reenacting some wound from the hmm. past. Hmm. And, and, and so – we constantly are seeing the reenactments 
of legacy of pain, generational pain, generational brokenness. So you, you just get to the point where you're like, is this ever going to stop? And so, you know, my wife and I always joke, we're like, <laughs> you know, someone will ask like, how do you know you're a good parent? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. The only reason, the only way I know I'm a good parent is if my kids go to counseling for different reasons than I go, because I will not have passed on the stuff that was given to yes. me. I'm giving them something, but I just, I just want some of the stuff that was given to me to not go down to them. But that takes work. That takes yes. effort. So I think it was probably in the mid two thousands. And and Mars Hill had a real like one of the six directions um, was going inward. Um, and that's this pursuit of wholeness. It was kind of the first time I'd really understood, you know, this, this word of becoming whole and that, that it takes work. And so I think that pursuit of actually like, oh, it's okay to listen to your emotions. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to be human. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And it's, um, I'm reminded of like some of the conversations we've had where like, a moment doesn't just happen. You have like built habits to create the way that you're going to respond in that moment, or you have been doing the inner work already so that when that moment occurs, when you're standing at that doorway, you're able to catch yourself and you don't just become that person on accident, like that there's actual work that you've been doing for a long time to get to that place. It is, man. And I think that's the, that's when it was that endless discovery. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, because you might bump into the same story a few different times and more stuff comes to light. I remember mm -hmm. there was a, a coworker of mine and, you know, every time they, they spoke, there was like, sometimes it just, it just rubbed me wrong. I remember going to tell my wife, Sarah, about this. And I was like, and I was really honestly looking for some backup. And as I shared with her uh, this encounter, she just looked at me and she's like, isn't God so kind? And I'm like, huh. What? I'm like, I need some backup, babe. And she's like, no, I'm like, what do you mean? And she's just like, God's so kind. is like, he keeps bringing people into your life who remind you of someone who wounded you. And until you honor this truth, it's just going to keep happening. Hmm. And I think in that, like, I started to realize the gift that these moments were. And there's a great prayer, the welcome prayer, but it's like, it's learning to welcome welcome everything that comes because it's 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 for your healing it's for the pursuit of your own wholeness if you allow it to actually lead you to that place and so that just became man how important curiosity and humility are to becoming i think the person god intended you to be yeah yeah and sarah what a gift she is like i'm so <laughs> grateful for some of the things that you um reveal in the book that she has like helped you with and then um, I love the welcoming prayer has been really significant for me. And I love that you you bring it in several different places in the book and some different angles on it and different ways to sort of practice it. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about what the welcome prayer is, what your experience is with that? Yeah. So um, Father Keating and Mary Mordrowski, I probably butchered that last name, um, but Mary M., um, I would just say I came across this welcome prayer a number of years ago, and I remember just reading it and was like, oh, there's something so just so just really like personal about it. Hmm. Um, but it felt really posture oriented, almost in the sense of like you are beginning to um, just really bring in 
and open yourself up to what's possible um, it, and, and how to see your day, how to see the world. And so um, I'll pull it up right here because I have this little practice that I do um, with it that I feel like even just the way that I start my day, it has become um, – just a way to center, just a way to start my day. Yeah. Um, but it just simply, it just simply says, and many, many people have probably heard of this, but it says, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open myself to the love and presence of God and God's actions within. Amen so beautiful and feels like so timely and again like as a three on the enneagram it feels like it was like written for me and so but it just is like slow it down welcome let go and stay open to this and let god do what god's gonna do in some ways and it's a total archaic word sanctification but i really feel like this prayer has really allowed me to move towards a place of becoming more whole holy and spiritually healthy Hmm. Talk with me a little bit about your experience in welcoming difficulties and welcoming challenging situations, people, stuff that is not just like even like a hard thing to grow through, but something that it's like, this actually sucks and is harmful, but like I'm creating space for that. Yeah. I mean, I think again, you know, my, my counselor will say that, you know, oftentimes when (laughs) Um, we find ourselves just threatened or triggered or angry or frustrated. Um, it's just a, a family reunion that's happening, you hmm. know, and it's just like our our past is just coming to the forefront. And so I think that there's moments where instead of um, just erupting with some sense of anger or some sense of frustration, um, I have to almost step back and go, okay, where's this all coming from? And usually it's somewhere of an eight-year-old boy in Camarillo, California, Hmm. where this is just, it's just tapped some fault line, some pothole within. And what's, what's fascinating is it might be about somebody else, but in this moment, I'm also realizing, gosh, there, there's something about this that I have to come back to if I'm actually going to pursue wholeness. And so realizing that whenever I'm triggered, whenever I feel threatened, whenever I feel at some point, um, yeah, just, just someone got close to a wound, all of that energy has got to go somewhere. And for so long, I found places to direct that energy, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so I think, now to step back where that welcome prayer began to almost just shift my thinking into outside of escaping to actually sitting in the disappointment or sitting in the displeasure or sitting in the sadness. And 
I just don't have muscles for that, Mike, if I'm honest. And it's, yeah. it's been, you know, many, many parts of my life. I feel like I'm 40 and many parts of my life. I feel like I'm seven. And then mm. this has been one that I feel like God has been, and the spirit has been just in great counseling and spiritual directors and mentors have been helping me really grow into this. Um, and it's helped me see people yeah. like really see people, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I love that. And it's such a, um, like helpful and beautiful way to start your day. And I, I was thinking as you were sharing, like how often we are seeing in the church, somebody's competency outpacing their character. And, um, and you're somebody who's highly gifted, who's been given some significant um, positions at early ages. And it would be really easy for you to keep pushing through those things and to keep performing and to keep doing this and not, you, you don't have to do that work. You can find another church that'll put you on their stage and you can find another place that will have you like push harder for them. Like you can keep finding, like you don't have to do this work and yet you invite it. Like what's the benefit for you? And like, why are you creating, why do you create space for that? I think I know my own brokenness. Yeah. I know it's, I know it's possible. You know, I know, I mean, you, you bring up the, the, the church hurts, um, you know, and you know, I'm sure you've listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill and, uh, so that, good. Everybody listened to that. podcast. Yeah, Cosper did a great job with that and it's continuing, but that's talking about what happened in Seattle and, but you, 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 you see it and you feel it, but then it's, it's, you know, it's the collateral damage. It's, it's, um, it's the collateral damage on kids. It's the collateral damage, um, in grandkids, mm. it's the collateral damage on a congregation mm. or on a spouse or on a staff. And it, and it's, it's, um, it's that stuff where I just find myself just like, it's just not fair. And I mean, it's, it's not, it's not right. It's not. And some of the stuff that, you know, we've all had to endure and some of the stuff that um, I've seen up close, I just sit there and I go, man, if, if, if some people would be willing to do their work, things would look wildly different. And I get it because when you're in a machine and you've got Sunday coming and you've got the need to actually please, or you've got, you know, um, you know, shame that's motivating you or codependency that's motivating you. Like, or security motivating you, you bypass and blow right through those kind of indicators in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And I, I know that to be true in me. Yeah. And so I think until you can kind of step back and say, okay, I get done teaching on a weekend. And the thing I, as I walk to my car, I thank God. And I just say, thank you. I'm one weekend closer to finishing well. And I'm just one week, one weekend closer. And that's my hope is that I can be one weekend closer for my kids, for my wife, uh, for my grandkids someday. If that happens, like I'm just one weekend closer. And I think too often when we don't do this work, um, what we are putting out in the world is something that isn't attainable by um, the normal person. Um, and so like mm. it feels far away because they're looking at their life in an honest and human way. Um, but somehow from the pulpit, it's not being showcased. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Um, 
So you mentioned the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which we've seen a ton of church hurt come out of that. You mentioned just briefly towards the end of your book, um, Willow, and what you experienced there and the hurt that was caused there. And so now you've had a little bit of time away from that, from your time at Willow. You've gotten to spend a bunch of time with a lot of different leaders, a lot of churches around the country. And I'm kind of curious, I'm curious, like what you think it looks like for churches with kind of the experience you've had and the um, the sort of vantage point that you have now, what it looks like for churches to create healthy cultures in their leadership. What are some of the things that need to change? I'm also kind of curious, this might be like another another question, but like I'm seeing a few folks step into senior leadership in their churches who are decently healthy going into that and have every intention of creating health there. And then they get into that spot and they have all of the pressure and all of the weight that comes with it. And they almost like revert backwards and they start creating the kind of system that they they really didn't want to and don't even fully realize that they're creating that thing. So I'm kind of curious that for the the pastors and ministry leaders that listen to this, what what are you noticing? What are you encouraging? What are you what what would you like to see happen? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost is my dream is that people would do their work. You know, I mean, I think if if we can be the kind of people that are just, hey, like um, start first and foremost with doing your work. Um, what triggers you? Where do you typically go? Um, where do you go to escape? I mean, like, let's just put this in like, you know, Hebrew scriptures language. You you have the you have the Hebrew people. Moses is headed up on the mountain having a conversation with God and. And the Hebrew people are just wondering, like, what is going on? And, like, all of a sudden, they're, they're having to deal with their anxiety, hmm. and they don't know what to do it. So they revert back. They revert yeah. back to what they saw. And so they're like, Aaron's like, well, just let's give me all your gold. Let's fashion it, and let's put our anxiety somewhere. And it's they, they create this counterfeit God, you know. And, and I think we see that because sometimes we've not grown that muscle to sit in the waiting well or to sit in the disappointment or sit in the unknown or uncertainty. And so I think what we have to really do is consistently with with humility and curiosity, um, really ask ourselves um, the question like, like, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, and, and I, I think for, for many of us, until we start doing our work, the system is so much in our bones. And so when we can actually have healthy guides, we're doing healthy work. I think we can step back and go, okay, we don't have to live like this. We don't have to, we don't have to, we don't have to make these choices. Um, And I think that's, that's why the desert is so important is having those moments just to get away. And what are the things that you need to unlearn? What are the things that you need to relearn? What's the things that you need to learn again? And so that's the, that is the real piece, the real work that I feel like um, I'm, I'm seeing some people do it, but then I also think 2020 was as hard as it, as it gets. Yep. And pastors didn't have a, a ton of, uh, I don't think they, I don't think many of us ever dealt with this level of criticism. Anything we said was, you know, really frustrating um, 50% of our audience. Yep. And so if you don't have that muscle and you don't have that conviction and you don't have that kind of like, Oh, this is why we, why I'm doing this. And I don't know how to lead well. Then all of a sudden you will revert back to that people pleaser. 
to that kind of role of codependency because you haven't done your work mm. to that role of like institutional pragmat pragmatism because you're like this is how we used to do it and let's just let's just stay safe and and then we miss out on really the the missio day that mission that we're being invited into um, to be prophets and priests um, pastors and leaders for such a time as this so good so good um well, friends, I would encourage you to check out and to order, pre-order by uh, Thing Beneath the Thing by Steve Carter. So great. Um, Steve, before we wrap up, let's let's chat a little bit about um, why we were hanging out in Raleigh uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, man. I, dude, I so... You know, we've always been looking for ways to hang more, and I just love the way that you think, and I love the way that you just, just are pastoring um, many really incredible leaders around the country. Um, but I felt like one day um, I had stepped out of this meeting and there had been like all these worship leaders together and they were at a writing camp and they were like writing songs together. And And there was a part of me, if I'm honest, I was like, that just sounds fun. That was, you know, and so, but then there was a part of me, I'm like, man, you get to write a song together and then like people sing it and then you all get paid for that. Like, you know, and I was like, you have these writing camps and I'm like, when, when will we ever have like a sermon camp? And I just remember just calling you and I was like, dude, what would it look like? How cool would this be if we could like get people in a room together that we could actually like learn from some scholar or someone that we really respected and, and then just almost like hang out, create some like connection, but then actually write messages and themes that we could literally go and bring that back to for a fall series or a spring series that's really based and grounded in good theology. And so for me, like you and I just kind of dreamed this up and it was so fun to be at church on Morgan uh, with Justin Morgan um, and uh, church on Morgan. It's not big based on his last name, but because it's on <laughs> Morgan street, uh, I always feel I know, able to say guy. that. I know, man, but uh church on Morgan and uh, you know, to have, Stanley Hauerwas, you knew him and you invited him and he just came and just uh, really taught us and refreshed us in what the Sermon on the Mount was. And then we got a dream for a day on how to put messages together. So, I mean, I'm fired up. We've got a few more coming up this fall. Um, you know, uh, we got Tremper Longman that you reached out to, um, even going to go hang out with Rob uh, Bell, which will be fun. And he's just going to want to talk to us about communication and how he's put some stuff together, which he's excited about. So I feel like there's really amazing opportunities to, to just have almost move away from Moses going up to the mountain by himself, hearing from God and coming down and teaching the people to, hey, a whole group of us walking up this mountain together to experience and bring our experiences and to learn and then to kind of shape and form together and give that away. So you were so helpful. Like, I mean, your leadership, the way that you like pulled and drew out the best in some of these communicators, it was just so, so fun. So yeah, man. Dude, it was so fun. It was so good. I don't think I've talked much about it on here, if at all, but yeah, we did this thing that we ended up calling sermon camp and, and a part of it for me was one of my, um, experiences in the church is that you end up, as I've been working with leaders in the church, you end up either investing a lot of time and energy in writing good, thoughtful, original sermons, or you invest a lot of time and energy in leading the church. And it is really hard to be good at both of those. 
And so if because of demands in the way church is done right now, you end up with folks that need to lean into being the CEO of the church in a lot of ways that um, that just need to. And so you end up needing some shortcuts and sermon prep. And so we're seeing stuff like um, I think the I think the latest hashtag was sermon gate of some sermons that were being copied. And um, and I think like I don't think that's out of anybody with like bad intentions or anything. I think that's out of like you only have so much time and it is really hard to create thoughtful, original content. And so even the idea to me of like, what does it look like to sit with a scholar and that we download all this information from them one-on-one and then to be with a group of people where we're bouncing ideas off each other and that you get like so much further down the road on your sermon. It was just so interesting and different kinds of ideas because you're in community with people. Um, I think you and I both have worked with sermon prep teams in the past where we've had a group of people who are brainstorming um, what we're working on together. And there are things that you're going to get together that you'll never get alone. I, it was so fun. It was so much fun. Um, I got, I haven't passed any of these on to you yet, but I got some responses from folks that were at our first one to like, Hey, what did you like? What was helpful? Whatever. The number one response so far on folks saying what was helpful is um, just the community of other communicators. And being with in a room of folks who communicate differently than they do and learning from them. Like so fun. So yeah. fun. Dude, it was it really was great. I'm I'm excited. Uh I mean, Mike, if people were interested like in learning more about the stuff we've got coming up in the fall, we've got some more in the spring next year too. Where where could they go? Yeah, probably the easiest way right now, because we don't have our website fully up yet. Um, they they can just email me, Mike at MikeGoldsworthy.com. And I'll, I'll follow up with them on it. We actually have a couple of openings, just a few, uh, with Rob. So we'll be spending a day with Rob and then a day together um, in community. And then um, we haven't yet started taking signups for our time with Tremper Longman. And we'll do, we'll do some work in the Old Testament with him. And that's going to be super fascinating. Both of those will be in California uh, in October. But yeah, Mike at MikeOldsworthy.com. And I'll follow up with you about next steps there. Love it. Love it. That was good. I like how you, I like how you turned that over. Like had a little, little commercial at the end, Mike, like <laughs> what, what do the fine listeners here need to do to get, be a part of this? Oh, <laughs> uh, Steve, you are such a gift. I'm so grateful for your friendship. I'm really grateful for um, the voice that you have in the kingdom. I'm really grateful for the way that you live your life, the people that you influence, the way you love your family. Well, you are such a gift. Um, thanks for, thanks for spending time today. Dude, it means more than you know, bro. Thank you so much and love doing life with you.